The following resources presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to A Counselor's Point of View. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your speaker today. Today's topic is entitled The Art of Spiritual Warfare. This is a series that we're going to be doing on equipping people on how to conduct themselves with spiritual warfare. We hope that you enjoy this series. We use the term mentoring today because it's less offensive. But if we stuck to the original terminology that was used during Jesus' time and even in the Old Testament, it would be a father-son relationship. I tell you where to go and you go. I tell you stop that and you stop that. I encourage you and you're encouraged. But that's offensive to men today. So we've come up with cute words like mentorship. It sounds more professional, sounds easier, and it doesn't sound so daddy-like. But Paul said to Timothy, first chapter, For you are my spiritual son. And in that relationship, over a period of time, Paul gave over full responsibility to Timothy to supervise all the churches. And these are encouragement and rebukes given to Timothy to train him and equip him for handling those responsibilities. It's a father-son relationship. I want to call it what it is. And I know it's difficult for a lot of men today to be put in that spot, but it's one of their greatest needs because most men I meet today are clueless about what it feels like to have a father-son relationship. So they want to be your friend. And so when you have to start playing a daddy role in their life, they're like offended, wounded. Well, you know, if cancer gets, gets confessed up, it's got to... It's got to be cut out. You know what I'm saying? Or I'm doing you, you know, I'm actually encouraging you to go back into bondage. But I'll tell you what, when guys hear me pull my sword out, and they hear it, I love the sound of a sword coming out of a sheath. You know, even with this little dagger, I got this for Christmas from my sister-in-law. Now just listen to this. Iron on iron, metal on metal. And it's like it's time for surgery. But when a lot of guys hear that metal, on metal, the, the sword's coming out of the sheath. You know, I, I've got to uh, cut this appointment uh, short. Got you see? It's like, uh-oh, he's getting ready to do surgery. Why would you go to the doctor and the doctor tell you you got cancer and he's getting ready to do some work and then you're freaking out and decide, you know, I really got to be at work at 10.30. Could you like speed this up? <clears throat> okay, if you want me to. <laughs> but you see, we, when it comes to the, the time of surgery, we freak out and that's why most men don't like doctors because of that spiritual illustration what I just told you. Men don't like being told what to do. That's the facts. It's one of the consequences of our flesh. Okay, Satan is the author of fear. It's actually the fuel for his plan. 
He uses the fear in you, not for you. He can care less about you. It's for his plan. It's for his vehicle that he's driving. Satan is not to be feared, he's just to be understood. So I'm standing there looking in my truck. I knew what was going on. I, I knew it right from the core of my heart. I knew what was going on. And I can almost hear some faint laughing, laughter in the background. Instead of submitting to the fear which will activate the flesh, then judgment, and from judgment I get in trouble. God says, this is a good fight. He's to be understood, not submitted to, understood. And then I drew my sword, and I did. Got in my truck when he told me to get in my truck, and I drove away, and I got to confess to you, I came back. God had me in the truck, I'm driving away, and I'm about know, four or five blocks away, and I drove back right to that truck of those workers. I have no clue if they were the ones who did it or not. But I was going to get out and search their truck. Got all the way around, drove right by their truck, and they're all looking at me. And I'm like, oh, yeah. So my dagger. Lord says, go on. This is a good fight. That's drawing the sword versus the dagger. This is a good fight. But the sword that was being drawn was the word of God in my mind. God was flushing my mind with his word. And peace came over me, guys, that you wouldn't believe. From that moment to this moment, a great peace came over me. Very critical, of course. What is the enemy's plan? Well, I think we've kind of made that clear. How should we react to it according to 2 Corinthians 2.11? Draw the sword. Use the word, which is God's word. It also says in Ephesians 1.13, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. I can't even open up a can of mushroom. I don't need anything else out of a can, just mushrooms. Right, Q? Q makes this great, unbelievable mushroom French sauce for my steaks, and it's just to die for. But I still like my canned mushrooms. I open up a can, and I, God reminds me of this scripture that any seal that man puts on anything, man can come along and break the seal to rob you of that joy. Okay? Any man. Any alarm system you put together, another man will come along and break the system and steal your joy. There's one seal that cannot be broken by man or demonic forces. And it's what is mentioned in this passage. After hearing the gospel of your salvation and believing and being have the Holy Spirit put inside you and sealed with the Holy Spirit. He is the seal of your life in Christ and Christ in you. A seal. Okay, guys, common sense question. What would it take to break that seal? Someone bigger than God. Oh, but a lot of Christians walk around every day thinking that 
their joy can be stolen and their et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like the seal's been broken. No, there's been no seal broken. That would kind of make God a liar. And I don't think that's the case. Satan's goal is to bring you into temporary bondage. He can't bring you in permanent bondage. That's a joke. It's temporary. Now, he can make you walk in, uh, tempt you to walk after your flesh to the day you die. That's true. But it's still temporary. Because you have the rest of eternity as a Christian. And some Christians choose to live their lives like that, walking after the flesh till they die. God loves them the same as if they're walking after the Spirit. But their condition of living could be a little different. It's up to them. And that's what we're talking about. Consider the tabletop illustration, what that is. is if, if this table was uh, symbolic of your life, and every choice that you make to walk after the flesh, that that sin is not appropriately dealt with by acknowledgement before God, that fleshly deed stays on that table. And that becomes a habit, and then you got about 50 of them on there. It's like one guy asked me, of course I've had more than one guy ask me this, but one particular guy asked me and said, when it, you know, do I believe that masturbation is a sin? And of course I don't want to answer that question. I want to see what this guy thinks and where he's going with it. And of course he did go where I thought he was going to go with it. And how many times a day would you call it sin? Because a lot of Christians, he would ask, they don't believe it's really sin. Particularly if your wife is involved. Guys, I'm going to make a statement here that may be kind of offensive to you. Anytime you pursue any type of sexual pleasure that is not a response of giving sacrificially to your wife, singular, wife, it is sin. Sexual pleasure is forgiving, not receiving. And if you don't catch that one basic truth, you'll be trapped over and over and over. Pieces all over your table. So whether your wife masturbates you or you masturbate yourself, or you're, it's all the same. Anything done outside of faith is sin. There's your definition of sin. Anything done outside of faith. So all those little pieces are all over your tabletop. What's this 30-day study guide going to do? And you're going to see it repetitively in every single prayer. It's getting rid of this crap. Item by item, even though they've already been dealt with on the cross, this is a true statement. You are acknowledging that it has been dealt with. You are grabbing, throwing, grabbing, throwing, and you're Clearing off, it's called a clear conscience. A pure mind. A sincere heart. You can't have a sincere heart until there's a pure mind. Then mind has to be renewed. That's what we're talking about. Renewal. Every thought being held captive. Clearing off your table so Jesus can sit down and have supper with you. He doesn't leave you or forsake you when you sin. It's just you can't enjoy that relationship. When there's, you know, masturbation and, and you know, pornography and, and overspending and, 
and yelling at your wife, you know, you got your list. You just filled it out. What you checked off is what's on that table. You need a clean mind, sincere heart, and that comes through this process we're taking you through. We will use our authority to remove these items, and that's going to be accomplished through that 30-day study. And then uh, claiming our spiritual rights under claiming our victory is Christ gives us the wisdom to know the battle we are in is not evidence of defeat, but actually one of victory. Why in the world would the enemy want to harass you if you weren't about to do something right? You know, when my wife called me back on this deal yesterday, uh, she said, Honey, just remember, you're in a spiritual battle. What we have the tendency to do is when things don't go our way, we think God's mad at us. That's not who's mad. Whether you're fleshing out or adding a few more sins to your table or not, it's not who's mad at you. God's a loving God. And even in the middle of your sin, Jesus has opened up his arms and said, just come get a hug. Yeah, but I'm, I'm masturbating right now. Just make it as real as we can here. Just come. Just come to me for your affection. But, you know, I'm this wretched sinner. I, you know, I always screw up and I... Come on. He doesn't go, boy, that's true. I've been trying to tell you that for... He doesn't do this abrasive father thing. He just says, come on, come on, come on. Give me a, give me a hug. You know what Jesus said? Suffer not these little children were coming unto me. They'd get up on his lap and he'd tell them a little story. That's what he wants for us. Just come, come on, come on my lap. Just let me hold you. And guess what? When the love surrounds us, the sin is washed away. Instead of this confrontation thing. Just love it. Love first. And it'll wash the sin away. Love covers a multitude of sins. Absolutely. Accuser of the brethren. So instead of <coughs> and with conviction is power and their strength. So when you're under conviction, it's like you it's like you're drawing your sword, even while you know you're in the middle of this temptation or whatever. You're drawing your sword, so that's conviction. You're right. And condemnation is you fall down weak. I'm a failure. I'm a nobody. I'm a stupid idiot. Why did I do this? That's what the enemy likes. Yeah, you idiot. You are stupid. You are a nobody. You're never going to mount anything. And if you think this victorious stuff is going to help you, just watch your life, you little failure. Yeah, you'll use up God's love on you and he'll throw you away, which is obviously not true. Okay. Finishing up here. Um, we must enter the battlefield with the reality that we are invincibly strong through our union and sanctification with Christ. That's why you're invincible. The Lord has given us four keys to unlock the victory that belongs to us in Christ. One, it's the believer's union with Christ. Union means oneness. You pour an actual color 
into another color and that glass changes color. Then you offer that over to someone and say, separate the colors. Well, you can't do it. That's union. Becoming one color. And there's a great protection in that for us as believers. Satan wants you to struggle with the fact that there's two colors. The old man and the new man fighting you. And then the person of the Holy Spirit actually lives inside of us. It's pretty key. The whole armor of God is given to us as a precious gift and it needs to be used. And of course the power of prayer. Then freedom of repentance. Our souls must be quieted down before we can repent. Some, someone tell me the easiest way to quiet someone's soul. What's that? Prayer? Well, my experience is I can't get an upset person to pray. What's that? Pray for them? Break them. What does that mean? Did Jesus break Peter out there on the water? No, he wore him out. That's what he did. He says, come on. You want to step into my domain? You want to live like I live, walking on water, walking through walls? Come on. Join me. Bam. Peter stepped into that spiritual world, and he was there, living like Jesus lives. Substance not controlling him. He's walking on water and he gets out there and he starts to wear down by the elements of the world. And he starts to sink. You know, Jesus could have saw it happening. In fact, I'm sure he knew it was going to happen and stopped it. Put another extra layer under him of spiritual, however they do that thing. You could have put one more layer under him, you know, to protect Peter. No, he just, come on. And he's sinking, he's sinking, you know. Panic! And Jesus reaches down and touches him. Brings him up and rebukes him. And then loves him. I see it as the perfect story for me anyway. I know there's a thousand of them. It's one of the perfect stories to me of Jesus showing me how to handle a brother. Come! Let's go! No, and they're going to fail. Let's, let's go. Let's walk. And you start walking. They start failing. Touch. Lift them up. Rebuke. Hug. As we know, Peter became one of the weakest disciples of all 12. Right? Peter was the one that made him mad all the time. Out of the 12. He was passionate but he went through this miserable time of denying Jesus and thinking he was the best and thinking he was the right-hand man and thinking, 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 and Jesus wearing him out for the sake of building him up. Your average guy runs when you wear him out. Because he doesn't feel what? Care for it. It's not a love-care-for issue. It's brokenness to deny self, to pick up your cross. Pick your cross up. Walk up the hill. Deny self, pick up cross, follow Jesus. 
Why didn't he say, deny self, leave the cross there? We don't need that. Just follow me. Peter had to carry his own cross out there to, to the middle of the water. And this cross was his own stuff. Paul says, I will boast above anyone. I am the worst boaster there is. This was Paul's confession of flesh on a regular basis. Arrogant? Oh, I'm above them all. And God gives him this thorn in his flesh to the day he dies. A messenger of Satan to keep him from exalting himself. Wear him down. For dependency. The way you get a man to be dependent on God and the scriptures and the power of prayer is you wear him down. That's how you quiet their heart. Then repentance comes, which leads them to life. Repentance comes, and God actually leads us to repentance with kindness. Stephen, Stephen, are you tired now? Are you weary and heavy laden? Can I give you my rest? Yes, Lord, I, I'm ready. Guys, I can't tell you the feeling I had driving from that parking lot to this church yesterday. Instead of cutting myself on my own blade, trying to draw it in anger, fighting the good fight. Now, a couple canisters or containers of conference material means nothing to you guys. But... In what I do, it's what I do. And God uses that little stuff to, to say these powerful, powerful messages to me. To walk away in victory, which normally I flesh out a little longer than I did, was God saying to me, See, Stephen, this is what you need to show them. This is what I'm telling you. This is what I want you to tell them. I can take from you and I can give to you. Within 40 minutes, I got a phone call from someone that said, I will finance whatever it is you've lost. Really? And then the blessings started going from there. I mean, it's junk. It's plastic. It's paper. I'm going to kind of miss my digital camera, but it's junk. Now, if they would have got the swords, that would have been... A little bit more of a challenge. Because these aren't just swords. These have been given to me by guys I've discipled. You know, they're, they're, they're very precious uh, vessels. And so, but Lord, I'll try not to get too attached to them. All right, we'll move on. Finally, we have, uh, pray even when you don't feel like it. Boy, that's, that is an absolute. Half-hearted prayers bring half-hearted victory. See, you can not feel like praying, but still pray, pray. But when you pray, pray sincerely about the things you're sincere about. Don't use these prayers in this manual like there's some kind of special golden key. Because they're not. You, it's to teach you doctrinal prayers, the main reason of writing them out. Secondly, when you start praying on your own, you will notice the Word of God coming out of you in the areas God's talking to you about. That's sincerity. If you're too bound to pray, we usually encourage you to get with another brother to kind of get you over that hump. Some guys can't even 
think about having a prayer life. And But if you're willing, wanting, and hurting enough, get someone to help you and walk with you until you're even able to pray a prayer of repentance. But once you pray a prayer of repentance and not repentance, you are free. You say, but I'm going to do it again. I just know I'm going to do it again. Okay. You think God's concerned about your sin? Wrong. Tell you what God was concerned about is when Eve went from the presence of the living God to detaching from his belly, rebellion, snapping the cord from that life source. That's what God's concerned about. Oh, Stephen's not hearing me. He's caught up in his own thoughts. Stephen, I want you to hear me. Come. I'm doing my own thing, doing my own thing. Come. Doing my own thing, doing my own thing. Wears me out. He doesn't even do the wearing out. He just lets the world do it. And then I turn around and I see his arms open. And then I come. Begin using your sword immediately after every single time that you pray a prayer of repentance. Now, there are prayers in this uh, study guide. The next One of the next projects we're taking on is we're putting together a prayer book. Hopefully in a nice leather bound and it's so you can get to them quickly and use them whenever you want to use them instead of obviously trying to carry a manual like this around. But many people find uh, prayers to go to uh, very helpful for them because it's teaching them while they are praying them. Just like they use these old God Promises books of going to a topic and you know reading that verse and whatever. It's building, molding, and equipping that person. So you might find it kind of helpful to... Uh, um, Bank a Xerox copy, cut it out, stick it in your wallet. I don't know. If you, if, if you get so bound up in your mind, you're not even sure what to pray, use those, those prayers. I, I wrote this stuff and I'm finding myself going back over and over to grabbing one of those prayers when someone calls or even for me. It's, it's just doctrinal praying is all it is. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at IOMAmerica.org. That's IOMAmerica.org.